Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about?" You insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So it's been eight long days since our last tennis podcast. I'm already slightly concerned that I've forgotten how to do it. It feels like so much longer than eight days. I don't know about you, David and Matt, but I feel ready for French Open relived already. Yeah. Let's let's, let's go. Let's just keep living and reliving one after another. <laughs> yeah. It worked last time. <laughs> just what is the, what's the minimal, minimum period of time that has to pass before it's acceptable to relive sport? Oh, the, all bets are off this year, Catherine. We can do whatever we like. Uh, all in the name of podcasts. <laughs> You're both already reliving being in the championship and winning <laughs> football matches. Too soon for that? Too soon? It's painful. That's, re- that's actually quite mean, Catherine. If anybody mm. doesn't understand what we're talking about, Matt and I both support rubbish teams, as does Catherine in football. Uh, it's just that our two teams are in the better division where everybody else is too good for us. And Catherine's currently top of the rubbish division where <laughs> Reading are too good for everybody else. Well, we're, se- we're second, but, you know, it's good to have... It's good to have somewhere to go, isn't it? Some Somewhere to aim for. Dave, I mean, you've set me up for that, David, because you are wearing West Brom kit, which yeah. is, yeah, it's, well, it's all the gear but no idea vibes. You know, I mean, given that I've revealed my on-field clashes with Diego Maradona, I just sort of thought maybe yeah. the team might need me. Or maybe they'd heard, you know? And yeah, just... who knows how low they'll need to stoop <laughs> over the course of the season, David, is what I would say to that. Matt, how is your... I mean, I know there has been tennis this week and we will be talking about it, don't worry, but how is your sort of post-French Open week been? Well, I was on a football high, actually, with an actual point next to Fulham's name until you brought us back down to reality and reminded me that actually my team is quite rubbish. Um but yes, a, a, a fine, a fine week. I enjoyed my first lie-in after the French Open. That's always a good moment. The post Grand Slam sleep, um, which sort of extended into long into Monday. Um, but I don't know. It's a weird time for tennis. I think anyway, after the final Grand Slam of the season, I spend my. I, sp- I feel like I've spent many hours in my life telling people that tennis is a, is a lot more than Grand Slams, and I strongly believe that. But having the Grand Slams as this focus of the season is something I definitely do believe in and all the other events kind of building up to them. I just think once the Grand Slam season is done, it's kind of difficult to tune in completely anyway. And I think in this year, more than ever, it feels it feels that way. So, so I did watch some tennis, but 
certainly wasn't wasn't as plugged in as I normally am. Yeah, even in non-COVID times, this feels like often like a slightly strange portion of the the season because, as you say, it's not it's not part of a story mm. necessarily. I mean, okay, in the events in the in the immediately prior to Shenzhen, as it would usually be in the ATP finals, you get that kind of race for the final couple of spots, and that can be quite good fun. That's a bit less the case this year because of how the rankings have been adjusted. Obviously, the WTA aren't having their finals and actually only have one more event this this season next week in Ostrava as it's scheduled at the moment anyway but i mean it's not it's not just this portion of the season i always feel quite similarly about that mini indoor spell um after the australian open it just doesn't feel like it's part of a a tennis story within the season so yeah it's kind of always a little bit the case and kind of exaggerated i think by by the pandemic Speaking of kind of relived, I wonder whether for the first time Nadal has actually got a chance to reflect on winning the French Open. Normally he goes straight from Paris into Wimbledon and this really busy time of the year. Well, he's actually got some time now. He's he's kind of said that he's uncertain whether he will play again this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't at all. He's kind of got some time to reflect on what he's actually done and achieved, which I'm sure he has done that over his over his career but he's not had that immediacy I don't think to kind of stop and think about it and obviously the same for Iga Sviantek you know to win her first slam and have a period to reflect on it it's quite it's just quite different to to how it normally mm. is mate he could just board his his yacht in Mallorca for the rest of the year <laughs> couldn't he I watched it my dad sent me a little video of Nadal sitting on his yacht talking about how great it is to own a yacht um this week and I thought yes it does look great to own a yacht (laughs) (laughs) good for you (laughs) yeah um yeah so so Nadal Nadal's confirmed he he said he won't play in Paris I think and uh, Djokovic has said the same obviously Federer won't be there either um we do expect Djokovic to play the ATP finals as it stands at the moment and he's playing Vienna as well he's signed mm. up to play that one um yeah i i'd be surprised if we saw nadal again this year personally um i think he he simultaneously wants to be respectful to the atp finals and i think he would like to have won it you know he's it's not something he's he's won um, but yeah he he clearly he seems to have a deeper appreciation of what the world is going through and is feeling that really severely i think and i'm sure when you when you've already got the amount of money and grand slams behind you and everything else there's 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 less incentive anyway isn't there uh for for somebody like him but but i just feel like he almost wants the clean slate now and and that's that makes me feel like the the achievement of just coming out and concentrating everything on that french open and pulling it off i know Mm. i know it it was kind of bittersweet to him. I mean, obviously a sweet victory, but it, you could tell how, how he was uncomfortable at the same time with celebrating it in quite the same way. What an achievement that was. I completely agree with all that. I also think just logistically, if he's going to be going to Australia, which he said he is planning to do, you have to leave a lot earlier this year to to do the two-week quarantine. When you get there, players are talking about having to leave to go to Australia in kind of mid-December and had to spend Christmas over there. Nadal's a, a, a family man. He, he likes being 
in familiar circumstances, I think, and settings. And if he plays the O2, that takes him quite late into November. He's not then got much time at home before he'd have to travel off again. I think just practically it makes quite a lot of sense for him now to just be at home and then go off to Australia, I think. Mm. Yeah, and that, as a resident of London, I'd say this probably isn't, you know, the best of times <laughs> to be coming to the city if you can possibly avoid it. It's not necessarily showing itself off at its best. Um, so tennis this week, tennis has been happening this week. Um, we have had events in St. Petersburg, in Cologne. We're calling it Cologne 1 because uh, we've gone from having no ATP events in Cologne on the calendar to having two in the space of th- three weeks. Yeah, it um, does amuse me the way the ATP's app actually just says that. Cologne one, <laughs> Cologne two. Yeah. <laughs> no messing. Um, yeah, I mean, Cologne has obviously been waiting for a pandemic to hit to fulfil all its tennis hosting dreams. Uh, and it's all, you know... So it's like London buses. They're all coming along at once. Um, so in Cologne 1, as we're catchily calling it, Alexander Zverev uh, won his uh, first title of the season. He beat Felix Auger-Aliassime 6-3, 6-3 in the final. He referenced um, afterwards during the trophy ceremony how important it felt him to win a final after obviously losing the last final that he played from from two sets to love up at the US Open. For Felix Auger-Aliassime, it's, it's another loss in a final. How many does that make it, Matt? Is it six? Yeah, zero and six. And he hasn't even won a set in any of those finals. He's, he's zero and 12 for sets. And it's another one where, by his own admission, he he didn't play well. It wasn't a good performance yesterday, I don't think, against Verov in Cologne. So what, what do we learn from this? What what do we know now that we didn't know 24 I, hours ago? I mean, I feel generally in a similar position to where we were at the start of the week in as much as I, I saw quite a lot of the semis and the final uh, of Zverev's performances. He beat Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in the in the semis. And by the way, that guy's drop shots are absolutely outrageous. He, he is... He is pushing uh, the the Albert Portas level of forehand drop shot winners, <laughs> and of course he was named the drop shot dragon twenty years ago. So, yeah, he was fantastic. But Zverev beat him, and he, and he beat him with a with his standard good solid game when the serve is working, and he was really efficient overall. Zverev he he does deliver in that sort of setting. It's just that. So I end up kind of feeling both impressed and respect the fact that he can put disappointments behind him like he's had recently and come out and do the business and win that title, but also then feeling, well, yeah, okay, now what? And I know that he's also feeling – that's how he comes across as well is, yeah, I'm really pleased to have won this. Now what? And, and, uh, well, in the scheme of things, it doesn't mean an awful lot. Auger Aliassime – I've, I don't know how to work this guy out. I don't. I, I. I mean, the fact that we can veer, and this is perhaps also a reflection on observers as well, and including myself, that we can veer between being so excited about the way he played at the U.S. Open against Andy Murray and and uh, the French guy whose name I forget, Corentin Moutet, um, and then 
who and then to to get beaten so decisively by Dominic team the way he did against incidentally two players now who've spent their entire time way back in the court at the backboard and Ojeleseem once again just standing on the baseline trying to be an Andre Agassi type which I love to watch but he just doesn't seem to understand how to play against a guy who's that deep in the court um so I don't know I just watched it and I thought what what are you doing you just you're just firing errors out of the court there doesn't appear to be any other gear that you can go into if you're missing and the the scar tissue of if it is building would be understandable i know he's only 20 years of age it's an achievement to get to six finals but to not win a set in any of them i think is quite quite a jarring statistic mm, i think they're at very different stages of their careers Zverev and Orger Alio seem quite naturally but as you said Zverev has undeniably figured out a way to win tennis matches Maybe not at the latter stages of slams. That feels like the next stage that he's got to get over in terms of, you know, trying to win one of those biggest events. But he's figured out a way to be a established top 10 player, to win titles every year. And he's got a game plan that works for him. It may not look totally convincing all the time, but against pretty much everyone he should be beating, he does beat them eventually. And he's solid. He knows what he's doing. There's a there's an assuredness to him when he's playing like that. But then Auger Aliassim feels like kind of the opposite. And I agree with you, David. He didn't seem to have much of a plan B. When when plan A wasn't working and plan A was, as we saw against Murray at the US Open, can be spectacular when he's hitting winners and they're landing and he looks brilliant. He looks an all-court player and aggressive. But when it's not working and when he's being made to hit lots and lots of shots by someone standing as you said, deep in the court, he he doesn't seem to be able to figure it out and work it out. And that's kind of shown, I think, in that record of not winning a set in a final when things haven't been going right. He's not been able to correct them. And overall, I think I come down on the side of, yes, it's a, it's a great, great thing that he's reached six finals by the age of 20. You know, that, that in itself is is something that is a massive achievement and is a big, big positive for him and why people are so excited about him. But it's definitely okay, I think, to also question his record in those finals and think that something must must be missing. And just from my observations, it seems to me like kind of a, a plan B or another layer to his game, something, something that he can rely on in a way that Zverev's got this game plan that he can rely on. It might not be totally convincing, but it works for him. And I, I just think Orger Aliassim is, is still figuring that out. Yeah, and just in terms of the the early days, and look, I know he's 20 and I know he's ahead of the curve generally and we're judging him by that advanced curve. But just in in terms of that, the early stages of scar tissue build-up, that's now an 0-3 head-to-head he's got against Zverev. He's never won a set against Zverev and that is going to be a match that we expect to be played many, many times in the future. You know, that's going to be one of the the key head-to-heads for both of them if if the trajectory that everyone's predicting for both of them plays out. And, you know, OK, 3-0 and is is probably OK. He's he's four years older than Auger Aliassime, but do you want it to get to 5-0 and and 6-0? and You know, you, you want to start feeling like you, you can win sets against these these guys that are your immediate rivals. I just think... 
yeah it's not it's it's absolutely not panic stations but it's also not sweep under the carpet either i don't know i don't know enough about uh, freddie fontang his his coach i know greg zedsky speaks very very highly of him um he's done a lot of work in the canadian federation but and you know we were also perhaps a bit critical of zverev for hitting the lendl button too early but does does auger Alessine perhaps need somebody somebody that's been there and done it a bit more that can maybe help with the everything you've just listed as as potential um, issues in his development i don't know throwing it out there it's possible David. isn't it uh, i mean i suppose i would if i were him i'd be happy to give it another year i mean obviously this has been such a weird year um and and he has still made some progress i feel it's just that this was quite a glaring performance uh, and as you say love and three I, I i noticed in their speeches afterwards how warm they were towards one another and the, they said that they both live in monte carlo and practice a lot together and there was real warmth between them and i just sort of i mean not that i don't want them to be friends but from an Aliassime perspective I, he's such an he comes across as such a nice lad uh, I quite liked it when he was at the US Open talking about how he needs to just go out and destroy mm. people. Um, and I d- I, oh, yeah, I don't want any of these people to be friends. <laughs> that is not what I want to hear at all. <laughs> Eber and Mahu, they can be friends. That's lovely. I, but- I, I did quite laugh at the way uh, Svrev, I mean, he, he remains an absolutely fantastic speaker, doesn't he? And he's mm. on, on court presentations and he just, he just goes, you, you know, you're going to win so many titles, much bigger than this. <laughs> 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 I thought, oh, lovely. Um, but, but I, you know, I, 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 I yeah. You I, thought this was bad, Alex. There's another one yeah. of these in a week. Perhaps Cologne 2 is bigger than Cologne 1. <laughs> yeah, this is just the warm up act. I don't know. We don't know what to expect from Cologne 2. Is it the same venue? Yeah, I think it's the same yeah. venue, same well, organised, same everything. Airbnb and Mo, you mentioned they won the doubles title at Cologne 1 but Herbert was doing double duty he was also playing the singles qualifying for Cologne 2 the same weekend well that's <laughs> geographically very handy yeah. I wonder I, if that's I the actually... first time someone's played two tournaments on the same day I feel like as I've said that maybe there's a story about Joe Wilfred Songer doing that yeah. Songer Surbiton and Queen's yeah. qualifying that's right he yeah. won, didn't he win Surbiton, I think. He won Surbiton and he got the train up. Yeah. Or the tube. He got the tube over to play uh, play Queen's qualifying. My first ever year at Queen's, that. And he did qualify and he went and won a few rounds as well. Beat, beat Leighton Hewitt in That's the opening it. round. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just on, on this uh, doubleheader tournament, I mean, I have to say, I think they did an extremely good job of putting it together at that sort of notice. And uh, the... The organiser is somebody that I worked with for many years on the ATP Champions Tour before you, you began working with me, Catherine. In the have you participated in a celebrity football match with him? He was part of the organisation of that particular match. No. Yeah, he was Edwin Weindorfer, who was um, who was the director of the Senior Tour back in the late nineties and early two thousands, and he has this company which he. He runs, I think, in partnership with Dominic Team's agent, um, Herwig Stracker. 
Yes. And uh, both Austrians. And, and yeah, they, they put on the events. I think they put on the, the grass court tournament in Stuttgart as well. Um, and, and yeah, they, they put together this, this tournament at really short notice, um, got sanctioned by the ATP and, and off they've gone. And I mean, okay, some of it was weird. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> pretend it wasn't. But I also think the fact that they, they started with fans and halfway through the, that week, they, Cologne just got shut down and they got told well, you can't have any fans anymore and they kept going and, you know, mm. they made it work. And so, you know, enormous credit to them for that. Uh, do you remember when we had Simon on quite early on in in the pandemic, and we were doing sort of generalised speculation about sort of what the the lasting effects on on the sport um, of this year might be? And he, one of the ideas he tossed out there was that it, it could cause golf style the tour, to, the the two tours or one tour if the merger happens to to split off geographically and for there to be a, a European tour and a North American tour maybe there could be just a Cologne tour <laughs> they've got it sussed after all yeah. Yeah. They, they'd have a dog they'd have a dog Catherine at everyone well you've led me to exactly where I want to go there David we faffed around for 20 minutes talking about the tennis let's talk about the dogs on the sun lounges <laughs> and why why all tournaments haven't been doing that forever? Because it seems and how and how much does it me. cost for Catherine to purchase yeah. one of those sun lounges with a dog? Yeah, just put a dog on it. Yeah, is that the one I mean, thing that you would introduce into all tennis events if you could? Dogs on Catherine? sun lounges. Dogs on sun yes. lounges. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. I'm. I I've got so many. Most of my. Uh, most of my curiosity about Cologne 2 centres around the, the dogs on the sun lounges. Will it be this, different dogs? Um, <laughs> different sun lounges? Different different seating equipment altogether? I mean, you, uh, describe uh, the scene, though, because I, I, I've never seen well, anything dog, like it dogs before. dogs on sun lounges. No, but, but I mean, you know, the court, the, the, the first row of spectators, what would normally be the hospitality rows around the the perimeter of the court were surrounded by soft furnishings by by kind of half like what what do you call them sofa beds was the tournament (laughs) sponsored by a garden furniture it was a mattress mattress. company right this is like uh, ideal it isn't your i saw this on uh have i got news for you on friday david me too the west brom's mascot is a man dressed as a boiler Correct. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> ideal boilers if we want to give them a plug. And uh, and do we? Yeah, well, I mean, you I have. do potentially need some boiler work doing in my new flat. So <laughs> um, thanks for that. Yes. Uh, well, they're, they're pretty good, Catherine. And yes, they do, <laughs> they do have a person who is dressed up in a boiler <laughs> suit, like mascots is something. Mascots is something that tennis has never really indulged in. I feel like the dogs on the, the the dogs on the sun lounges is sort of an early foray potentially into the the realm of mascots. No, yeah, not into it. And they had cameras, faces. They had cameras attached to them, so that when when, when they were yeah GoPros when they were running around the court. I mean, mm. I don't think the footage unless, they got was great. I'd rather just look at the dog. In that situation, you can see everything but the dog. Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. I'm less mm. into that. Unless they meet each other and then... Yeah. yeah. Did they ever explain why we had a dog on a sun lounger? I it was think just it was just a, thing a case that of was why happening not. And everyone, everyone just sort of accepted it in the context of the year 2020 when everything is strange. They also had a band. The band was yes. good. I like, that. I like the band. So w- was the band introduced to replace the crowds? No. I think the band was so there the, the band whole was, time. The band was there throughout. It carried okay, on I without be- crowds. I only became aware <laughs> of the band once the crowds had gone. That, that was what made it um, kind of, there's a band and there's nobody to play to. <laughs> kind of, there, was a, there was that feel because they were a really cool band and they just came on at the, the sit-downs for every, for every match. And the, I mean, some of the looks on the players' faces, I mean, some of them did look a bit distracted, I must say. Um, what, what genre of music are we talking here? I'm trying to think what they were called. They were called like the swag or something. And I didn't, I didn't think their genre of music really went with their name. Right. Wasn't that just the tournament's description of the band rather than its name? They called it our swag band or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, You you sure you don't mean swing? (laughs) No, definitely wasn't that. It was definitely swag. It was a bit jazzy it was and bluesy, jazzy, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Scar music. Uh, oh, to Catherine, you know, I'm not up ja- at all Jazzy. Stuff. Okay. Were they playing hits? Were they playing bangers? Oh, no, no, no. No. Oh, I think it was their own material, you play maybe. a song that it, anyone's heard it of. Felt, yeah. I mean, it felt quite fitting in as much as it felt like they were very much playing for their own enjoyment. And, yes. <laughs> and that they were having the best time and didn't matter because nobody else was there, so... Nobody to nobody to have to impress, and I I, right. I, I liked it. But I mean, it did, just it just did the players enjoy it? it well, I th- I thought that they kind of enjoyed it, but they they also you could also tell them thinking I'm trying to concentrate here, you know. <laughs> um, but but I uh, it couldn't have been more perfect for 2020 to just see this court with these sunbeds all around it, with with a couple of people who'd taken their shoes off whilst on this on these beds that obviously paid for the right sitting there with the dog on their lap few feet away from andy murray as he's trying to serve um and then when they go to sit down this band pipes up Uh, i mean it was it was just perfect for 2020 tournament directors listening you know what you've got to do um, so yeah, we had Ebermo uh, uh, won the doubles. They beat Lucas Kubot, Marcelo Mello in the final. You mentioned Andy Murray there. He lost in the opening round to Fernando Vidasco. It and, and we've sub- subsequently heard the perhaps not altogether surprising news that um, he has withdrawn from Cologne too. Uh, Andy Murray has with uh, injury to his psoas on the on the on the official form uh, where it says list of withdrawals and and it says the body part next to it you have Andy Murray brackets hip and uh, it's a pretty sad sight seeing that and it it was a slightly sad sight seeing him against against Fernando Vadasco wasn't mm. it I, I thought he was better than at the French Open. Uh, when he just, there was never a moment when he was in the match against Vavrinka. There were some moments in this one against Vadasco. I thought he was, you know, he hit some clean winner returns, but he's also playing a guy who's not Vavrinka. Um, it was still, 
it was still a kind of bittersweet feeling to be to be watching Andy Murray but not watching Andy Murray um and yeah it wasn't a huge surprise you're right when when you found out that he's still getting this flare up and he said he'd had the flare up quite a few weeks ago didn't he and he just decided better not to play um but let's hope that that can sort itself out because it didn't his movement just still doesn't look quite right yeah the performance made a lot more sense to me when i then heard about these physical issues he's been having he said since the us open so we can take from that that he was managing them and affected by them during the french open as well and as and he has looked physically kind of hampered and unable to be himself in those matches i thought again he's he's so interesting in his press conferences afterwards i was reading some of the quotes and the way he explained about how he's got this huge dilemma about how to play he he says he's trying to play a bit of a different game because he knows that his body maybe can't quite do what it used to be able to do so he's trying to shorten the points and but he's just making unforced errors that you don't associate with Andy Murray and it's quite it's quite sad to watch but he says he wants to try and get back to playing his more natural game but he knows that that relies on incredible movement and dynamism from the back of the court and he's just slightly stuck between a rock and a hard place I think at the moment in terms of of his tennis and also if he keeps having these physical problems you know this is this is a recurring thing now where he seems to be okay he plays and then he gets a flare up somewhere in his body and mm. it's um yeah it's 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 certainly worrying for his it's for his future only a year since he won antwerp of course when mm-hmm. i mean that seemed almost too optimistic really for, <laughs> for given what he'd been through how on earth has he gone and won this tournament and and looked so good and not mentioned a, a, a twinge of pain and then, of course, it was the Davis Cup finals, wasn't it, where where he had an issue again, and and he's, mm. he hasn't really been right since then. Not 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 like he was a year ago, anyway. Maybe it was those three kilos he put on. <laughs> 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 um, so Cologne two has already started, uh, and uh, it seems to be all the same people. <laughs> yeah. Zverev is the top seed. Uh, Schwartzman's the second seed. Auger Eliassim is playing. It's um, it's very weird, isn't it? It must be brilliant for the players in these times to be able to play back to back weeks without without travelling anywhere. I mean, I know it's you know not the fun and, and glamour that the tour usually is, but in these compromised circumstances, that's um, that's a dream come true to me. It kind of feels like that's what should be happening at the moment. I'm, I'm slightly uncomfortable with cases rising so much across Europe and lots of tennis travelling going on, and we've already seen quite a lot of positive cases in these last few, in these last couple of weeks. Uh, Goffin, Fanini, Query, more on him later, Vondrosheva. Just you know, more players are quite, mm. quite naturally i think are have been have tested positive just in the last 10 days or so than we had during the kind of bubble stretches of the tour just i don't know just something about it doesn't feel quite right at the moment it doesn't feel like it fits the moment necessarily lots of tennis going on indoors Mm. and lots of travel around europe where where cases are rising and it's 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 back to why as we've discussed 
so often over the past six months why tennis is one of the least mm. well-equipped sports to cope in these circumstances because tour <laughs> tour is in the in the name of sort of every organization uh in, involved with tennis isn't it it's um it's kind of fundamental to the sport that it moves location week to week um but that's yeah that doesn't work so well in the pandemic. I tend to agree with you, Matt. Um, we've had an event in St. Petersburg this week, and I understand restrictions there were were incredibly well implemented. Um, they were they were being you know taking every precaution they probably possibly could. Um, Andre Rublev has won his fourth title of 2020, a year when for for most of it there hasn't been the opportunity to win titles. Beaten Borna Chorich um, in the final, his grandmother passed away on on the Friday of the tournament. Um, so I think, or, or the Friday before the tournament, I think. Um, so an incredibly um, emotional um, victory for him. He, well, he said, I, I lost my grandmother on Friday. So I think that must actually mean, if I'm understanding that right, that, that means during during the week. I thought it was the week before, the, Friday the before. week of the French Open. I, th- right. I think he mentioned learning about it after the Sitsipas match at the uh, French Open. But yeah, and I think he'd travelled to Moscow just before he'd been to St. Petersburg, maybe on that Friday for the funeral, I think. Yeah, gosh. He's quite a sens- sensitive soul, I think, Andre Rublev. Mm. I think, um, and he was really emotional it, at the end. I've, I've, I've mm. not seen him like that. And obviously he's done wow. a lot of winning. And this, obviously he was at home as well, and that, I think, meant more to him but he was um yeah he was really emotional at the end after beating Chorich in the final but yeah he's I mean you you called it Catherine last year you thought Rublev would have a really big season this year and and I mean he he is I mean it's it's quite unbelievable what he's doing in terms of his consistency and his endurance and I've you know this was a guy who had injury problems very early in his career and I think just the fact that he's even able to play week after week after week is a really positive thing. And the fact that he can just keep winning and is taking brilliant, brilliant performances to beat him, he's he's mightily impressive. Um, I think he's looking like he will qualify for the ATP finals. In a normal year, he would be in already, I'm sure. But because of the way the rankings have been adjusted, he's still having to fight for that place. But... Um, yeah, I'm I'm so impressed with with Andre Rublev and the final against Chorich was I watched that he was he was in trouble. Chorich was 5-2 up in the first set tiebreak and playing really well. Nice to see him playing well. Um but then he just made some errors Chorich on his forehand which is is the side that breaks down when he gets tight and then that was kind of his chance gone and Rublev was was fairly dominant in the second set. Yeah, I always kind of find myself wishing Chorich well um because I just worry about him emotionally we've sort of had so many press conference moments from him where it feels like we've had a lot where he's sort of bared his soul a bit about um sort of the emotional toil of the tour and and so on I think I think he's I I, I think he's quite hard on himself so I I'm always pleased to see him having um good run of results the the defending champion in st petersburg was daniel medvedev i was just looking at the list of winners how successful russians have been there over the years and of course medvedev won last year he lost out to riley apelka in his first match i think in or second match in um in st petersburg he's having a sorry old time medvedev at the moment isn't he it's not it's not 
going brilliantly. This is not the metronomic winning of titles, David. It's not. And you never know whether... You never know whether we might have seen his best moment of his career, his best spell, an incredible period where he played brilliantly and people didn't know about him yet and therefore hadn't worked out how to play against him. Those are all possibilities. How do you deal with the the expectation that comes with getting to a, a Grand Slam final? Look at Yelena Ostapenko, players like that. You you can never be sure, really. Um and and obviously all the weirdness that has accompanied this year. That that's why Rublev impresses me so so much that he's done it before and after this lockdown period. And actually, I'd apply similar a, a similar view to what you've described with Chorich. I mean, there's two guys there in Rublev and Chorich who just both want to do well, and they're they're workhorses. They keep on punching the clock all the time, and. You know, it must it must be such a grind to particularly I think to play a game a bit like the Chorich does, where he's not the most talented guy in the world. It doesn't come that easily to him versus some of these others, and he just keeps on having a go. Rublev's interesting. It'll be I'm fascinated to see how he backs up this year and whether he can just He's got to walk that very fine balance between trying to make the most of his talent but also not burning out because he loves playing all the time. He wants to win all the time and he wants to win at the Grand Slams as well. well you, I'm just not sure you can do all of that. You've got to pick and choose your moments. And given that he's just won four titles now, probably next year something has to go if we have a sort of more normal schedule of, of numbers of tournaments. Um, but yeah, Medvedev, the, the clay just, I, I think the clay coming when it did in the autumn between these two tournaments. I think it's a bit of a nightmare for him, to be honest. I guess Rublev needs to try and do what Team has done. You know, Team, we used to talk mm. about his schedule playing so many tournaments, and I think we were probably reasonably critical of that at the time, but we did always say that he's building up endurance and stamina, and it's obviously served him very well in these, in, in the last 18 months, and that feels like the the kind of next step that Rublev needs to take. Um, and he does still have the physique of a 14-year-old Rublev. Yes. Yeah, which I suppose team has, has never really had. Well, maybe he did when he no. was 14, but <laughs> <laughs> since he's been on the tour. Um, didn't Medvedev... He didn't look in a great place. I didn't see that match, but I did see the clip of him doing the racket tap and then smashing his racket immediately after. Yeah. And when you saw the other angle... He'd already smashed his racket, then did the racket tap, and then smashed his racket again. Yeah, <laughs> it was a really considered. There was a, it, a racket smash post match point and handshake slash tap is really it's really something. Uh, um, but it was yeah, it's it's not the behaviour of somebody that's in the metronomic winning of titles zone. So you should love it. I mean, I think yeah. Is, the, the thing is, though, what he did at the US Open that time was he did all the stuff and won. And mm. won. And that's well, exactly. the key to it, isn't it? You know, just, him just losing his marbles and then losing <laughs> tennis matches, doesn't, it's not quite so no. much fun, is it? Uh, we had Shapovalov and Raonic in the semifinals in St. Petersburg. Shapovalov certainly has gone on to Cologne to play Cologne 2. Not sure if Raonic is in the draw there. Um yeah, Randich pulled out the French Open injured, didn't he? So that's a that's a that's a good week 
for him? What do we think about Shapovalov? Well, I mean, both of those players drew my attention this week. Raonic, yes, for his tennis, but also he had some very strange press conference moments. Oh. It wasn't. I mean, he dealt with them great. It was. It was the. It was the questions that were put to him. A journalist asked him, "Is it boring to just win with aces all the time?" And he just replied saying, "Winning is not boring," which I thought was fantastic. Great reply. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> then the same journalist asked Chorich a question and started it saying, "Thank you for beating Raonic." There's, <laughs> there's someone with some agenda against Raonic in that tournament. I'm not quite sure why, but he, as has been his thing this year, dealt with it very, very well. Um, Shapovalov, on the other hand, caught my attention for his tennis, and he was really great through the first few matches. I saw him beat uh, Wawrinka, and that was it's kind of his perfect match. It was a shot-making match, and he managed to just come up with a few more great shots at the right time than Wawrinka and he loved it, it was brilliant and then he was leading Rublev in the semis a set and on serve in the second set, again looking fantastic, playing really well and then I just think we got a perfect example of why he's not quite been able to make that step that maybe we thought he would have made by now and it was kind of an immature loss, I thought, he was 40 love up on on his serve in the second set, he made four double faults in the game, lost his serve, lost the set, and then lost the match. And in the third set, he was quite understandably frustrated with someone in the crowd who was putting him off. But he he really got angry about it. He, he started taking him on in Russian. It was the first time I've ever, I've ever heard Shapovalov speaking Russian, actually. And he was, you know, he was kind of go, almost going up to the bloke in the crowd and telling him to be quiet. He said, I'm, I refuse to play if that guy doesn't get kicked out. And the umpire said, look, we're dealing with it. The best thing to do would be for you to carry on playing. And and he did, but he, his head was gone. He, he, was, he, was, he was out of the match. He checked out. And I sympathised because it was clearly frustrating. And he was playing Rublev and Rublev was kind of on his side saying, look, this is too much. This guy in the crowd is, is distracting. But I don't know. I just think he, he he did let himself get a bit distracted by it, and I just don't think you can afford to do that. It's it's still a bit of a weakness in his game. I think getting distracted by things, and sometimes it's sometimes I feel like he gets distracted by himself because he's he's capable of so much brilliance. He doesn't rein it in always, but this was distracted by something else. And he I don't know. It was, just, it was just an example of where he is. I think great tennis, but there's something missing. But he started doing uh, meditating mm. at change events. This does not sound like Zen behaviour. No. Well, that, but it it makes me think that he's trying to conquer it, and I respect that if mm. that's what he's trying to do. That somebody's taught him this, or suggested this, or he's figured it out that this might be a way around it, because it's not working, is it? This this temper loss and concentration loss is really not working for him it's causing him problems and he's behaving like a kid the way the world's against me the calls against me now now he's made his big thing i want hawkeye live everywhere as if that's the answer to all the problems and i understand Mm. i understand the argument for wanting technology for that reason but he's got to get hold of himself if he's going to maximize his potential because just being a highlight real player is not a recipe for winning winning big and regularly 
Um, he he still has. He looks like he's cracked it. He's very much. He takes a couple of steps and then he takes one back. And it's it's mm. so often a pretty dramatic one back because it's such a tell. The the other players then know. They know that mm. that's that's around the corner. If I can keep in here long enough and and he gets agitated, his wheels will come off to an extent that the match is mine. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Losing in the semis, though, did spare him having to participate in the trophy ceremony, which I think is quite a significant silver lining yeah, poor, to the week. Poor Borna Kjaric has been runner-up two years in a row in St. Petersburg and had to sit through cumulatively 90 minutes of post-tournament <laughs> ceremony while they parade some Russian artist round the now, stadium. Who, it was Anastasia last who, year, wasn't it? It was Anastasia last year. This year it was somebody that like came 19th on Britain's Got Talent in 2003 <laughs> or something. I think it was a former Eurovision contestant. Right. <laughs> Swings thing. around, yeah. <laughs> Uh, were they talented if you had to if you were hosting an event obviously not a thing that's happening to anyone in the near future if you were hosting an event and had to have the St Petersburg trophy ceremony singer or the (laughs) Cologne band playing that event who would you each choose Oh, what a great question. I couldn't get past a few minutes of St. Petersburg, so I'm going to have to leave you with Matt to tell you about the the, the quality on show there. But I'd be quite happy with the Cologne band, to be honest. I think that they were quite cool. Did the the singer in St. Petersburg play hits, 
Matt, are we talking, you know, YMCA? Was it bangers? (laughs) No. Donald Trump has ruined YMCA. (laughs) He's ruined the work of the village people, hasn't he? Um, No one's playing hits. I'll be honest, about 10 minutes in, I just muted it and just waited, (laughs) just waited for the expression which came of Rublev at this point had gone to sit next to Chorich on the the same bench and (laughs) just showed them and Chorich just had his head in his hands and Rublev was sort of staring into space wondering what on earth was going on. Um, That was just watching Chorich, watching this presentation over a second year in a row. I was fascinated by that. For a long time by their uh, patience with it really um yeah I, I mean i think it's great if you're into that kind of thing but I, I, i'm not sure tennis players are i guess it's Imagine not for if them Kyrgios came runner up there oh mm. yeah i'd pay to watch let us know if you're into that kind of thing at tennis podcast on twitter uh jürgen meltzer 39 years of age he won the doubles title with edouard roger vasselin that's pretty impressive. Um, in Sardinia, uh, that was the tournament where Fabio Fanini tested positive um, on the eve of the tournament. And there were all sorts of rumours flying about that way more players than that had tested positive and the continuation of the tournament was in doubt. They turned out to be unsubstantiated. Um, it's just Fanini that was removed from the draw. We had Laszlo Gera beating uh, Marco Cecchinato in the final and Lorenzo Musetti reached the semi-finals there and everyone's getting very excited about him again as they are about um, Carlos Alcaraz, another uh, young player of whom Matt can claim to be an early adopter. Uh, He won a challenger title this week, another challenger title, and that means that Musetti is the world number 123 and Alcaraz is the world number 136. Alcaraz is a tiny bit younger, is that right, Matt? Yes, he is 17 and a half, I think, as Rafael Nadal would say. Um, (laughs) And he is, well, he is doing things... Go for it, Matt. Go big. Go big. he's doing things that only great players have done in terms of his numbers on the challenge at all. The number of events he's won by this age, you know... I think Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Felix Auger-Eliassime actually kind of did similar things and Richard Gasquet and Juan Martín del Potro. All, all those players kind of had won multiple challenger events by the age that Alcaraz is now. He's the youngest to win back-to-back events on the challenger tour. He won in Barcelona last week. Now he's won in Alicante at the Academy of Juan Carlos Ferrero, who I believe coaches him as well. And he's got this incredible record post-lockdown. I was looking, he's 11-2 and two in deciding set matches since the tour resumed. And he is 9-0 and oh in tie breaks this year. So he's, he's winning all the big moments. And that, that I just think is really, really promising. Djokovic-esque. Indeed. So obviously he's most comfortable on clay and these results are happening on clay. But I really think... He is in for a big, big career. And both he and Mozetti have spoken about they think lockdown helped them because they're so used to playing matches, you know, and competing. But they really got a chance to work on their conditioning and their physicality and their fitness. And they've come out just kind of raring to go and feeling stronger than they ever have. And I don't know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting quirk, I think, to this year that 
maybe in a in a way I thought it would really hurt young players not having the chance to play, but maybe counterintuitively it actually helped them because they play so much anyway and just gave them a chance to actually stop and work on things. And yeah, uh, was, there's, they're both in a race now to reach the top 100. I was reminded, but the Talcaraz is coached by Juan Carlos Ferrero. Uh, watched the um, the match point of his, his title win and Ferrero was there, you know, absolutely so pumped up. And I mean, he still looks young enough to play on the tour i mean he doesn't i mean that's he's he's roger federer's era after all um and he i think he's on paper at least he's a really good guide for a guy like alcaraz of that age of that ability who's going to look up to him you would think anyway and ferrero trod a very similar path he was a prodigious young player winning big on the challenger circuit way before he should have been uh, on paper, you know, beating adults um, and just watching a few points of Alcaraz, similar kind of abilities, similar fast forehand strokes, big strike on the backhand as well. Just you can tell how formidable he's going to be on clay um, if if the trajectory continues. And I mean, he's just a little lower ranked. I think he's one thirty six um, is is Alcaraz, and it may, it made me look up the rankings between one hundred and two hundred when I was looking to see where they were. Just how many familiar names there are between one hundred and two hundred at the moment. You got Kevin Anderson at one hundred and eleven, Andy Murray one sixteen. Seb Corder, who's obviously made strides, 138. Then you've got the 41-year-old Ivo Karlovic at 142. You've got Hyun Chung. Remember him? He's 156. Del Potro's still in there, even though he hasn't played for a couple of years. Um, Hugo Gaston. Um, Ernest Gulbis, Lucas Russell, Sergei Stokowski, all of these people ranked between 100 and 200. Uh, and then a couple of Brits as well in Jay Clark and Liam Brody. Um, but... There's so many people there that have either you haven't heard from in ages or have made real movements just recently, like Gaston and, and Corda. Um, it just shows how how much kind of depth of of storylines there are out there mm. when you when you just look at these names individually. Mm. We uh, we've got a few kind of news stories that have made headlines this week, which will be discussing in just a moment but to to round off tennis chat uh, the ultimate tennis showdown returned this week uh and the demon uh who is uh alex dumenor uh beat richard gasquet who seems not to have a nickname the virtuoso oh, apparently sorry sorry the virtuoso the only person who doesn't have one is grigor Yes, he's just he Grigor. So the demon beat the virtuoso in, and this is a genuine scoreline, 24-9, 15, 14, 16, 17, 19, 11. It's a lot of numbers. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see any of it. I, If people are watching and enjoying it, that's great. Um, I... I I, I'm I'm not watching it. You'd have I had to am... go out your way. That's a, one of the things yeah. is you really would have you'd have had to be subscribing on their website. I think it was also on Eurosport Player. Um, right. A couple of people were saying that the sound wasn't working. Um, there is a, a very amusing image of Alex de Menor holding the. I was going to say trophy, but I'm going to stop myself from saying that because it is a, a sort of. Uh, 
try try to uh, uh, what is what is the thing that um king titan in the little mermaid holds holds a, holds a, holds above his head Do you know the the three pronged spear thing well, it's like a weapon it doesn't look weapon. like that does it i thought it was it's a like lightning bolt it is a lightning bolt but it looks like a weapon from lord of the rings yes um it's it's definitely a murder weapon <laughs> if you wanted it to be <laughs> Dumanor looks like he can barely lift it yes um yeah so that yeah that happened in uh, antwerp obviously the same venue as they'll be holding the um the tournament this week and dan evans played and he has <laughs> been given the nickname the viper uh so yeah um now then in non sort of on the court news uh, a few bits and bobs to round up from the week you probably heard you may not have but you, you good chance if you're on twitter etc you've heard about the sam query covid fiasco um now this is the sequence of events for for sam query um he and he was entered to play in st petersburg last week he traveled to st petersburg uh, with his wife and baby son um and he tested positive he and his wife tested positive on the sunday the day before main draw played a play started and they were placed um, into isolation in the Four Seasons Hotel where they were staying um, in St. Petersburg. They had tested negative on arrival in Russia four days earlier, um, but obviously once he tested positive, um, they were withdrawn. Uh, from the, he was withdrawn from the competition and the whole family were asked to um, isolate together. Um, there was apparently a, a policy whereby they had to be um, examined to see if they were symptomatic. Uh, we understand that uh, I think three separate times uh, their hotel room door was knocked on um, to f- by the medical examiners and there was no response on any occasion. There was some possibility um, of if if they were showing symptoms of them having to be quarantined in hospital, though my understanding is that actually um, the ATP were making arrangements so that 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 wouldn't have to be the case. That they would be able to, if if they were required to move elsewhere, they would have been able to move to a private apartment. Um, but none of that transpired because um, it then uh, turned out that uh, Sam Query and family had uh, absconded from the country uh, and from quarantine and boarded a private jet to a nearby European country that didn't have a policy of COVID testing upon entry. Uh, so we're not quite sure what that country is. There's only a handful of countries that it could be because most most nations do have a COVID testing policy um, for international entrance to the country. Uh, we understand that the ATP are considering sanctions uh, against Sanquery, and I can uh, I can well imagine that they are extremely displeased with his behaviour. Frankly, he's put the whole the whole tour in jeopardy the continuation of the tour um look you can understand his his anxiety and and panic in that situation he's there with his he's there with his family 
in in foreign foreign climes in, a, in an extremely tense, difficult situation. But that is a known risk to traveling and playing in tournaments at the moment. That is, there is always a possibility that that will happen and you sign up to the regulations of the tournament and the country that you're entering. And you have to accept that they apply to you just as equally as they apply to someone that doesn't have access to a to a private jet, etc. So for me, it's incredibly disappointing behavior. While the emotional response is understandable, the actual behavior is is inexcusable. Really, I don't know whether either of you have a have a different take on it. No, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I I look forward to hearing what he has to say about it, um, and for the investigation to reach its conclusion from an ATP standpoint. They, the code of conduct says that he could be fined up to a hundred thousand um, dollars and possibly suspended from the tour for up to three years um, if the breach uh, is considered. Um, so so sufficient uh, to to warrant that um and yeah i can understand the panic from on a human level but but you're right i mean you 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 know what you're you're in for really if you go to these tournaments that this is an ongoing situation and um yeah you can't you just can't behave unilaterally like that uh completely independently of all the the rules and regulations and the tours the tour that you've signed up to um you just can't do that and, and expect no no repercussions at all. Easy nickname if he ever plays UTS. Go on. Fugitive or something. <laughs> <laughs> the absconder. The absconder, yeah. The runaway. <laughs> I mean, not to you know make light of a serious situation, but he's, he's going to struggle to live that down now. You know, that is... Mm. That is going to stay with him, be part of his reputation. That is a serious thing he did. And as you said, I think the the way it brings the tour into jeopardy is they're having to go out of their way to get waivers and get countries mm. to to trust that players and tournaments can be held safely. And if you've got someone acting mm. like that, it's um, it's incredibly harmful to uh, to the tour's reputation. This is a man that participated in. Uh... The reality TV show Millionaire Matchmaker, though, so it's possible the reputational damage is not a concern <laughs> to him. Just speculating. Um, we had, uh, over the, the course of the last couple of weeks on, we've had um, quite an insight, actually. It's been mostly fun, but there has been a pretty serious edge to the content that um, Daria Gavrilova um, has uh, has been producing on social media because she has spent two weeks in quarantine in Australia after returning home from the French Open in a in a hotel room adjoining uh, fellow player Ellen Perez. Luckily, they've been able to to they've got separate hotel rooms, but interlinked. So they've at least been able to socialise with one another. But you know, this is serious stuff. Spending two weeks locked in a locked in a hotel room no no special measures because they're well Gavrilova rich tennis player whatever just you know this is the way the world is at the moment and they were completely accepting of it and trying to make the most of it but it was a it was a very visceral glimpse into the the reality of the situation for a lot of tennis players I know some players are getting 
waivers on the quarantine, etc. But not so for the Australian players. And this is, you know, it's a not insignificant undertaking. Yeah, it, it certainly makes me understand if players see those pictures. And you're right. I mean, Gavrilova and Perez were were trying, having a whale of a time on Instagram, at least. Who knows what was going on in their minds? Mm. Um, but I could well understand the, understand that if some players just look at that and think, I couldn't handle that. Uh, and I'm not going to put myself in that position. Um, and and I think that some consideration for that needs to be factored in when we talk about these players as professionals. And some people are quite dismissive of players who don't go over and play a tournament, for instance. You know, and and I, I really do understand if if players don't feel that they can or want to. Um, when we had a, we had a, a really lovely email from from Vivian in in uh, Melbourne who was who was describing the conditions of living in Melbourne over the last few months since lockdown. And, and they were quite, I don't know, I, I'm not saying they've passed me by, but I, but it, I hadn't focused quite quite enough on just how different they have been to what we've had here in the UK. I mean, as are starting to firm up now, the, the restrictions and the lockdown is coming in again in this country in three stages. But even so, the, they have not, being able to go five kilometers from their houses to do an hour of exercise more than an hour of exercise in in melbourne over the last um few months and uh, and you can see even even hearing somebody as bright and breezy as craig tiley talking about the australian open that the the thing is not guaranteed because the government's attitude to the virus over there is way stricter than it is over here in terms of you know, we, we've got to have the support of the, the government if we're going to make this thing this mm. thing work. Mm. Mm. It, it looked really tough those those two yeah. weeks in that. I think they're in the Mercure Hotel in Perth, and there was another player, Storm Sanders, was also in the same mm. hotel but didn't have an adjoining room. Maybe maybe she didn't want to be involved in the uh, kind of you know. I think day three they were on sitting down indoor badminton. It was kind of just a just a measure of their desperate attempts yeah. for entertainment in there. Yeah, it looked. I was I was glad for them that they had each other because I think they wanted that, and it clearly helped them get through it. But it was a a really quite vivid insight into just how how taxing that is on your on your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple of other bits and bobs and play changes to the uh, ATP Player Council. Uh, personnel this week: Andy Murray, Felix Auger Eliassime, Jeremy Shardy, John Millman, uh, all uh, new members of the ATP Player Council. That is, that's a you know, if that were if that were a, a government, that would be a huge kind of right wing left wing shift, wouldn't it? That's a, a massive kind of aggregate change in outlook. I, I would suggest. I mean, who? who knows in practice what it will mean, but those are very differently minded kind of players, I would say, than than what the composition composition has been of late. Yeah, well, the the players that withdrew were Novak Djokovic, Vasek Pospisil, Sam Querrey, John Isner, players like that. I absolutely agree. I think Andy Murray, when, when asked to elaborate, said he was only there temporarily while they sorted out who else they wanted on that uh, board that council but it's it is a very interesting time 
the fact that there is this alternative body that is trying to set up as the players' representatives when the ATP Player Council still has a group there very much trying to do that job and, and how that ends up coming out. I mean, if, if they get to the Australian Open and have an Australian Open uh, amidst everything that's going on at the moment, those player meetings w- could be very mm. interesting. And in fact, the next the next year particularly, uh, I think, because can these players bring about something to inspire some further confidence in the players that have wavered over the last however long and ended up standing on that court for that photo shoot? Mm. Well, it was when they were in the bubble in New York that the players had time to talk and mobilise and things started happening. And the next opportunity for that, as you say, will be if there is an Australian Open in in January, they're probably going to have... Well, it could be six weeks, you know, in terms of that stretch, in terms of how long they're all all together. I know they might be a bit spread out across the country for ATP Cup, but yeah, you could imagine that the next stage of this political talk and developments will will happen at the start of the year. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Last bit of news announced this week is the absolutely game-changing fact that the French Open are going to have night sessions next year imagine how different that will be <laughs> can you get, can you get your heads around it <laughs> the only the only bit that even the fact that we ended up playing tennis until i say we uh they played tennis until one <laughs> twenty-five in the morning the one night um even the one thing that that strikes me as quite jarring about this announcement is the fact that they're going to play a single match on court philippe chatrier from 9 p.m every single night of the first 10 days. 9pm mm. is the start of a night session. I mean, mm. I suppose you could say, look, if you have a four-hour match, yes, you're at 1am every 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 night. But I mean, that's a really late start time. And, and I'm just really interested to see how that works with the locals, how, whether, whether mm. they really go for that or not. Because it's a very residential area around mm. there. Um, I do my anxiety about it and there's no well no uh, my anxiety about it is given that it's just one match distribution of equal distribution of men's and women's matches Um, I I really hope that that will be a consideration I mean and if there's going to be unequal distribution you can make a very strong argument that it would make more sense for it to be more women's matches because of the length of matches uh, length of best of five set matches after a 9pm start but that remains to be seen but um, yeah officially night sessions at the French Open from 2021 uh, tournaments next week in Cologne again Antwerp and uh, the final event of the year on the WTA Tour in Estrava final um, but one I, there's just the Lintz one after that oh Lintz yes of course where Coco Goff is the Defending champion. Yeah, and Coco Goff has actually qualified successfully for Ostrava, um, which has inevitably got an absolutely rammed draw <laughs> of players just looking for an opportunity to, to play. I think yeah. Svitolina and Pliskova are the top two seeds, and uh, Diana Yastremska against Jennifer Brady in the first round. I mean, there's there's some – and a load of top – big names in the in the doubles draw as well you know singles player in the doubles draw you just spat out the name jennifer brady david she and i are still just about talking um <laughs> she has no idea who i am but you know <laughs> um, have you seen the court in Ostrava? no no 
Does it have dogs on mattresses? No, but <laughs> they're obviously very pleased to have an event. They've got a Strava written at the back of the court with three exclamation marks after it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, really don't approve of overuse of exclamation marks. No, wasn't it? Wasn't it Terry Pratchett? Didn't he say that that's a sign of madness it's the mark of a moron Mm. yeah um we've got some shout outs to end on i believe who are we shouting out to matt we are shouting out to stephen blythe hello stephen to jane s hello jane hello jane and to mysterious (laughs) mysterious uh, incognito jane and to razor fetami oh like neil razor ruddock no. What a great name. It's oh. n- not like Neil Razor Ruddock. <laughs> R-E-Z-A. Oh. oh, I think that's probably better than <laughs> Neil Ra- I had a poster of Razor Ruddock on my... Uh... You didn't. What? Yeah, well, when I was really young, my best friend was a Liverpool fan, so I went through a phase of pretending to be a Liverpool fan Um and it was from a... It was a, it was a, it was a pull-out from a, a football magazine... So I just stuck it on my wall. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Not in a sort of, you know, totty way. Not like not like a pin-up. I don't think Neil Ruddock's ever been I'm a sure pin-up. I'm sure he'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right. Shout out to Neil Ruddock if you're listening as well. <laughs> and uh, also um, Donovan Razor Ruddock, the world heavyweight boxer who uh, once fought Mike Tyson twice. Once right. fought him twice, yes. <laughs> I'm Great. I'm really hoping there are lots of people who don't know who Razor Ruddock is and have and are now currently googling him and wondering why on earth Catherine had a picture of him on her wall. There was like a time in sort of I don't know 1993 where he was he was a big deal. Anyway, Google Razor Ruddock 1993 and yeah. make yes. your own mind up. Yeah, it's not and it's hello not other Razor and thank you for supporting us. Uh, and ha- I just want to say hello to Cam as well because cam's hanging in there and hopefully enjoying the pods and uh, we're thinking of you cam uh and we'll be back next week to talk about more tennis uh, and we can't wait we'll speak to you then a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.